Hey, hey, hey! Welcome to the Full Cup. We are so thrilled you are here with us today. If this is your first time listening, please go back, start at the beginning, listen in order. These podcasts build on each other. So if you want to fully understand, go back and start at the beginning. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Full Cup. Okay, so I was thinking that today I wanted to read this text to start off with that I got from a listener. This is Laura from Colorado. Okay, so I'm only halfway through episode two and all these things Craig is talking about, independent emotion and how when we don't let other people's stuff bug us, it enables us to love others more is exactly what I believe about how God loves us and why he's able to love us so fully. We don't trigger him. Then she said, reminds me of this quote I found, the God who loves in freedom is not afraid and therefore can risk vulnerability, absorb the full horror of another's pain without self-destruction. God has the power to be compassionate without fear. Human beings now, as in the time of Jesus, tend to think of power as refusal to risk compassion. But God's power looks not like imperious Caesar, but like Jesus on the cross. And I would add, like Jesus in the garden. Quote by William Plater, a Presbyterian author and professor. I love it. That's pretty cool, huh? That's wonderful. Will you text me that? Yeah, I'll send that to you. Anyway. From Colorado. Laura from Colorado. Yep. Any thoughts? Well, in the weeks to come when we start putting people in the chair... And we put God in the chair and tell him that I love him, but I'm not going to let him control me anymore. Do you think he's going to say blasphemy or is he going to say it's about time? Yeah, I think he'll say that. And then if I go to church on Sunday, am I there because I have to be out of guilt or supposed to? Or am I there because I choose to be? Mm -hmm. How many people go to church because choose to be there? How many do it because they feel like they have to and they're guilted into it? when it's that way, they start resenting the vegetables, the person giving the vegetables, and themselves. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, just from this last conference, I think Sundays. Did you listen to conference on mm-hmm, Sunday? Mm-hmm. On Monday, I talked to two people who were like, that was really hard to hear. It was a really hard conference, you know? I was like, that's really interesting. No, it is because lots of people, it is really hard to hear. They just feel weight and pressure and, okay, well, hopefully, you know, you can, I don't know. If I yelled at you because you were in the street as a child, was I trying to control you and manipulate you because I'm angry at you or was I doing it because I love you? Yeah, because you love me. And it's up to the interpreter of the message. It always is up to the receiver. You can scream at me and I can go, oh, she's screaming at she hates me. Or I can say she's screaming at me because she loves me so much she doesn't want me to get hit by the car. Yeah. It's up to each of us. But most of us, because of the control that we felt all of our lives, continue to interpret through what I call the green lens of control. And everything gets turned to green. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't know about the green lens of control, but we'll get to that later. I understand you're saying it's controlling it's a lens of yeah. everything's controlling well we, we can talk about it today if you'd like or uh, we can no let's get into what we're talking we're talking about the cup today okay, what what we're based off of the full cup <laughs> living a full cup life okay Libby 
Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just hold my arm, my hands together, formed in the shape of a cup. And I'm going to ask you, what does this look like? It looks like a cup. Exactly. And now, Libby, this is my cup of happiness. It's my cup of joy. It's my cup of self-esteem. It's my cup of value. Uh, as, as you saw, there's not very much in my cup right now. It looks kind of empty, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It looks empty. W- would you lift your thumb and very gently... In your generosity and sweetness, pour a little bit of you into my cup. Okay, so thumb. I'm tipping my thumb like a spout into my dad's hands. Oh, this is wonderful. Shaking some, some of myself Thank into you, it. Libby. This is wonderful. That was great. I'm going to have a wonderful evening now because you poured into my cup. It was so good that you helped me with my joy, my happiness, and poured in my cup. But you know what? It didn't last very long. Can I have a little more, please? Oh, okay. This is great. No, don't, 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 don't sigh. No, just keep pouring. Come on. Just keep pouring. Yeah, this is wonderful. No, no, just don't run out on me. Come on. Just keep pouring. I don't care if you run. I'll squeeze it out of you. I'll drain everything I can get out of you. My cup is empty and you need to fill my cup. Fill my cup, fill my cup, fill my cup. I can't believe you. If you're not going to fill my cup, I'll get somebody better than you. I've got two other daughters. They'll fill my cup for me. I've got a wife. I've got, I've got friends. If you're not going to fill my cup for me, I'll go find somebody else who fill my cup for me. Oh, oh, this person over here. You are so much sweeter. Look how easily you'll pour into my cup and you're filling my cup and pouring into my cup. You are so wonderful. I can't, but what, what are you doing? You're running out on me too. I don't care if I drained you. I need my cup filled. It's up to you to fill my cup. I never had anybody fill my cup. And and I finally realized that that's what I have. Women and daughters and children and, and all these people to fill my cup. I You have to fill. Well, if you're not going to fill my cup, the heck with all of you. I'll go find somebody else to fill my cup. Libby. Who has to fill your dad's cup? You have to fill your own cup. You're telling your dad he has to fill his own cup? Yeah. But did you notice this? Yes. There's a giant hole in between his hands. There's a hole in the bottom of his cup. So with a hole like that, do you think I could suck a few people dry? Yes, you could suck a few people dry. Maybe a little trauma can shoot a hole in a cup? Uh Uh-huh. Have any of you been hurt by... A boyfriend, a husband, a wife, a mother, a child, a friend, where they felt like they shot your cup with a thirty out six, yeah, and blew big holes in it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk for a moment. Let's see. When I was eight, my mother died. Do you think that could shoot a pretty big hole in my cup? Mm-hmm. And can I come to you and say my mom died? Won't you please feel sorry for me and fill my cup? And you would do oh, what? You're tearing right now. I just feel so bad for you. <laughs> so you'd fill my cup. Yes. And then I would learn, golly gee, I'm not going to give up the death of my mother because having a dead mother gets people to feel sorry for me and fill my cup. And if they're always filling my cup, will I ever learn to fill my cup myself? No. So who has to fill my cup? You do. Will you assist me? Yes. Yeah. Boundaries. I got to set some boundaries. You got to set some boundaries. But. The reality is once you understand that dad's got to fill his own cup, does it feel as strenuous? Does it feel as as, uh, painful when you have to fill my cup? Or do you know, my dad's got to fill his own cup. I'll be happy to help him a little bit, but he's really got to fill it himself. Yeah. If you fill it for me, will I ever learn to fill it myself? No, and you'll suck the life out of me and push me away. <laughs> and yell at you because you're not pulling back up. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been around people? And no matter how much you pour, it'll never fill the cup? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you pour and you pour and you pour and it's still not enough. 
And then you walk away feeling badly. What's wrong with me? I couldn't fill his cup. I did everything to fill his cup. Let's go back to some of the girlfriends I had when I was in high school. I had a hole in my cup and they would pour and pour and I'd say, you're not filling my cup. Get out of my life. You don't make sense. I I can't stand you if you're not going to fill my cup. And they'd walk away feeling sad. What's wrong with me? I can't even fill Craig's cup. When the reality is, is it their problem or my problem? Yours. Maybe we should bring your mother in here and talk about those first 10 years of our marriage. No matter what she ever did, was it ever enough? No, because I had a big hole in my cup. Dinner wasn't good enough. Nothing was enough. We had some real struggles Mm -hmm. till I learned about the cup. (laughs) Now, the other day I came home and I was sitting at the counter and your mom came in and she said, what's going on? I said, well, I'm just sitting here wishing somebody would fix me some lunch. I've been working really hard this morning. (laughs) And you know what, mom looked, she says, I'm busy doing primary stuff. I'll be back in a minute. She walked two steps into the hall, turned back around and said, I'm not filling your cup today, dear. You got to fill it yourself. (laughs) Get it yourself, bub. (laughs) And I thought, I've taught her this too well. Why did I teach her about the cup? But the reality is it is up to me to fill my cup. Now, does that mean that I just have to sit here and go (laughs) and spit my cup? Or can I ask people? Can I ask you, hey, you want to go to lunch tomorrow? Can I say, do you mind if I come down and visit with you and the kids? Uh, maybe maybe we can go on a little trip together. Or, or I can call Lincoln and say, hey, you, you want to go fishing tomorrow? Or I can call Russ, my friend, and say, hey, Russ, why don't we go to lunch? I can still. It's still my responsibility to get my cup filled, but it's not just sitting here and spitting in my own cup. Yeah. I can ask help other people to assist me. The thing I will remind you about the cup. Our greatest joy comes in assisting people in filling their cup. If we do it all for them, we foster their dependency. And they will never be independent in their thinking. They will be dependent forever. So if you're going to be that way, I'm going to get somebody else to fill my cup. I can't believe you won't fill my cup. You're my daughter. Can I guilt you? Yes. For how long? A long time. Can you say, Dad, I still love you? Can you say, well, yeah, Dad, I still love you. And I'll help you with your cup. And I'll help you with your cup. But I'm not doing it for you. But I'm not doing it for you. You'll never learn to fill your own cup, Dad. You'll never learn to fill your own cup, Dad. If you keep expecting me to do it. If you keep expecting me. Well, if you're not going to fill it for me, I've got I've I've got three other kids and their spouses, and I got fifteen grandkids. Yeah, they love me. They come loving to me. Oh, Papa and love me, and I got a dog to fill my cup. It's their job to fill my cup, isn't it? No, it's their job to help you. They can help, and a lot of people forget that. And who gets to determine how much you help me, Libby? Me and the hole in my cup and the size of my cup, or you? I do. It's up to you. You can still be kind, but if you fill my cup for me, you foster my dependency, and I'll never learn to fill my own cup. I'll spend my whole life looking for somebody else to fill my cup, and then it will be force-fed vegetables to them, and after a while, they'll resent me because I keep asking them to eat all these vegetables. They'll resent the vegetables I'm asking them to eat, and they'll resent themselves for not standing on their own two feet, and they might blow up and abandon me. But if they know that ultimately it's up to them to determine how much they're going to help, 
and they're clear with those boundaries you talked about, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to help you, but I'm not going to fill your cup. I'm having trouble enough filling my own. Right. Have you ever had anybody that you're helping to fill the cup and you poured and poured and then you said, I'm done. I can't pour enough. And they made you feel guilty. They said, you're a terrible friend. You're abandoning me. I have not personally had that, but I have seen people actually abandon friendships because it's too much. The boundaries aren't set. And it's just like, I can't, you're sucking the life out of me. So I'm cutting you out, you know? And sometimes just a good frank conversation about the cup. I want to still help you, but I'm going to help you at this limited amount. Right. Because your cup needs to be filled by you. So Libby, if I have to fill my own cup, who has to patch the hole in the cup? You do. No. God's supposed to. Somebody else is supposed to. Uh, God took my mother when I was a little boy. Uh, my my wife turned my back on her back on me. My friends, uh, they've got to fill my. They've got to patch the cup. Who's got to patch the hole in my cup? You do. So how do I do it? Yeah, that's a good question. How do you get that self-esteem? You patch the cup with tempered steel. Do you know how you make steel strong? Heat Heat. and cold. You heat it and then you cool it and then you heat it up again. It's called tempering. The samurai sword is told the sword of a thousand bends. It's been heated and cooled a thousand times. Very expensive, very fine steel. Will hold a very fine edge. Even uh, hunting knives that I have, that uh, your mother bought me a pocket knife for my duck hunting. Because the one I had, I just about worn out the blade because I was sharpening it all the time. I said, how much did it cost? She said, $46. I said, $46? The last pocket knife, I think I paid $6 for. And she said, this one's tempered steel. Oh, yeah, it'll hold the edge. I think I've had it about six years now. I've never had to sharpen it because it holds the steel. It holds the sharpness for a long time. The blade stays sharp because it's tempered. It's been heated and cooled. Well, that's what you patch the hole with. You start to recognize what you have been through and what it's taught you. I really do believe that God will fill the cup and patch it. But again, it's not God. It's my belief that God will. For years, I didn't think God would patch my cup or would fill it. I was expecting him to rescue me. And I was very bitter and angry that he didn't. Then I got children of my own. And I realized if every time they get in trouble, I rescue them. I'm doing them a disservice. That does not mean I don't listen. That does not mean I don't, I do not abandon them, but I can stand by him. If your brother Lincoln gets in trouble, can I stand by him? Yes. Should I rescue him? No. If I rescue him, does that foster dependency again? Yes. Will he learn what he's supposed to learn? No. So I learned with my old children as I began to age that I can't, I should not rescue my children, but I can stand by him. If he gets knocked down, can I help him get up? Yes. Can I encourage him? Mm-hmm. Tell him I love him. Tell him he can make it. Mm-hmm. And now you understand why I'm not mad at God anymore. 
I was expecting him to rescue me, to fill my cup, to patch it. And he said, I'm here and I love you and you're special. But I have to decide to believe that. And we're going to talk a lot about belief system in the weeks to come, a lot. So that's the cup. Who's got to fill your cup, Libby? I do. No, Danny's supposed to. You have those four beautiful children. It's up to them to fill the cup. Yeah. Well, they don't fill my cup. (laughs) Yes, they do. They assist. When I see little, you can't look at your son, Eddie, without just bursting into a smile. I just just want to come down and rub his head. All, All of them. Olive, when she gives me a hug, there's nothing greater than it, than than white filling. Let's talk about red and white for a minute. There's red hugs and there's white hugs. The soul is made from a body and a spirit. I call the body red. It's the animal. It's the beast. And the spirit is white. I'm not knocking red hugs when you're married to that individual. But sometimes a white hug from one of my grandchildren far outnumbers a new truck or a new car or anything else. So many people are spending all of their lives trying to fill their cup with the red stuff. Libby, the red stuff will not fill the cup. The only thing that truly fills the cup is the white stuff. Mm-hmm. Red is nice. I want you to have lots of nice things. But a white hug from one of my grandsons or granddaughters or from you. It's mm-hmm. certainly a lot better for my cup filling than a new shotgun. Hold it. Wait, a new shotgun. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what did you just say? A hug from you is better than a new shotgun. What are some tools that people can use who have low self-esteem? What are some things people can do aside? I know you just talked about tempered still and turning mm-hmm. your pain to wisdom, but just practices throughout the day that you... Well, to there, improve self-esteem. Yes, there are a lot of things, and we're going to spend at least several sessions on just improving self-esteem. Okay. So rather than go to that today, I'd like to talk okay. about one other thing, okay. and then we'll close it off today. But uh-huh. I promise you the whole self-esteem thing uh, will take quite a while in talking okay. about how we build self-esteem, how we patch the holes in the cup, how we fill the cup. That's coming. Okay. okay? So I'm going to change the subject here for just a minute. Uh, do you remember me talking to you about the wire years mm-hmm. ago? Okay. Yes. So you do remember a little bit about the wire? I remember a little bit about the wire. Okay. Uh, When I was in graduate school, I had to study psychoanalytic theory. This is the Freudian stuff, you know. Come in, lay on the couch, stare at the ceiling. As your therapist, I have to sit out of frame. I have to wear uh, round glasses, get a pipe and uh, a goatee and scratch my chin and learn how to say, ooh, how does that make you feel? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. How does that make you feel? <laughs> and go with that and tell me more. Okay. And it's really up to the patient to do all of the work. And that's a major difference between the, the long-term therapy, which is, I'm not t- putting it down at all because it's incredible. What Freud taught us, what the analysts tell us are, are amazing things. But short-term therapy is much more uh, directed. Mm-hmm. And there's a big educational component where the psychodynamic work, the psychoanalysis, is much more geared towards you got to find the answers entirely yourselves. I believe that we have to find the answer entirely ourselves, but I think in short-term therapy, we can offer points of education that can help them find themselves a little bit quicker than having to do it all themselves. Like guidance. Like guidance, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, A map. Uh, We talked about Joseph Campbell last week who said that our religions are all myth. 
the reason they're myth, he says, we don't have the science to explain it. But he also said, but our myths give us the greatest maps of how to get through this sometimes difficult life. Mm -hmm. So that's what short-term therapy does. It's much more uh, map-oriented, educationally oriented. Okay. okay. So when I studied psychoanalytic theory, as you know, I for me to understand things, I try to put everything into a metaphor, what makes sense to me. So this is the metaphor that I used and still use today to help me get through graduate school and use it today, every day, in working with families, uh, parents and children, uh, husbands and wives, everybody. Okay. I call it the invisible neurological wire. Now, Libby, do you see any wires coming out of me? No. And I don't see any coming out of you, but I know they're there. If somebody were to threaten one of your children, how would you feel? Furious. Yeah. Mama bear. Mama bear. Yep. If your child hurts, how do you feel? Sad. Hurt. Yeah. Okay. You understand the wire. It's a nerve. It goes right out of your heart or head and it goes into each one of your children. If your daughter wins the soccer game on the soccer field and all the other kids carry her off on their shoulders, how do you feel? Amazing. It's a wonderful, isn't it? If your little boy is out in right field during this baseball game, picking his nose and eating it, and everybody's saying, look at the little kid out in the left field, but right field, picking his nose, how do you feel? Embarrassed. Yeah. This is the wire, okay? Okay. Now, I could stop there, but I'm going to expand a little bit on it. The wire goes to our parents. If I grow up, and I've been told that my dad's a real weenie all my life, mm -hmm. and been told my mother's wonderful, what does that make me? A weenie and wonderful. A wonderful weenie. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So the, the wire goes in so many ways. Uh, I, I, I've been treating a physician just recently who, who's having a real struggle with his father who did some, some criminal things a couple of years ago. And he's just torn up that his father could ever do anything like that. That's the major reason he's in here. He's worried if my dad is going to do that, has done that, do you think I could do something like that? I'm just sad. I'm brokenhearted. What, how am I going to deal with this? Our children and our parents are like pieces of us. Let's say you're at school one day and, or maybe at church. Let's go to church. And a little boy is trying to open the door for the, the senior citizen, the little 80-year-old woman. And let's say the wind is blowing. He's, he's six and he's trying to open the door really hard. And he finally gets the door open and uh, Sister Jones walks in and says, oh, thank you, Jimmy. And later in the day, you go up to those parents and you say, your little boy was so cute. What a sweet little boy. He was so struggling to open that door, but he did it. What a little gentleman. And you watch those parents zip open their chest, rip open their rib cage, pull you into it. 30 years from now, they'll be saying to that little boy, do you remember when Libby Switzer saw you opening the door? You were such a cute little kid. They will remember that forever. Mm -hmm. If you want to endear yourself to people, you love their children. Because if you love their children, you're saying you love them. Mm -hmm. This happens probably once a week. I have parents who bring in their teenage or 40-year-old son. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either way. Happens. But this is what I'm going to tell you. This, this kid's 17. I talked to the mom and dad for about 15 minutes before I talked to him alone. Mom and dad were wonderful people doing their very best to get their son out of the drugs and the bad habits and the bad environment he's living in. So 
I met them. They were nice people. As soon as he sat in, he dropped into the couch and he says, I hate my mom and I hate my dad. Okay. If the wire is true, if he hates his mom and he hates his dad, how does he feel about himself? He doesn't like himself. He hates himself too. So I said, well, tell me why you hate him. And he started to tell me. And every time he'd tell me something, I'd say, wow, that must be really hard. Especially because when I met him, your dad was out here tearing up as he was talking about you. It's very clear to me that your father absolutely adores and cherishes you. Oh. He would say, well, my mom's this and this and this and this. And I said, and your mother cried through most of our session and was telling me how much she loves you. And she actually seems to be a very sweet, nice lady. I tell him, I did child protection for eight years for the state, dude. I don't think I'd be taking you away from your parents. They are really sweet people. You can't BS them, but you tell the kid how sweet and wonderful his parents are. And he leaves, and he might even be a little disgruntled with me. Oh, yeah, well, you just don't know him. I said, I, I, probably not. So I come back and tell me more about how horrible they are. Two weeks later, the parents come in and say, you miracle worker. Miracle what? If the parents are wonderful, what does that make the kid? Wonderful. See how it works? Mm -hmm. Let's go to marriage for a minute. A couple gets a divorce. They get a divorce because the dad said, or the mom says, well, dad cheated on mom. Okay. He had an affair. Okay. And the mom reports it to the kids and says, your dad cheated on me. What's that? He devastated me. I can't trust him. I hate his guts. He destroyed our family. Your dad is an immoral ass. I can't stand him. I hate him. Oh, okay. It's all true. She can say that. But a year later, she's still saying, I hate your dad. He's an immoral ass. He destroyed our family. I hate his guts. He's an ass. Okay. Five years later, I hate your dad. He destroyed our family. He's an immoral ass. He's the worst person on the face of the earth. And the kid looks at his mom and says, Mom, I want to go live with my dad. What? Why do you want to go live with my, your dad? Because every time you tell me my dad's an ass, you're telling me I'm half an ass. I want to love my dad. The most important thing you can do for your, one of the most important, if not the most important, is to love your spouse and let your kids know how wonderful their daddy is and how wonderful their mommy is. Tell them regularly, you know how lucky you are to have me as your mother and your dad as your dad? We are really wonderful people and you're our kids. So, so are you. It really does add to it. Let's go back to the cup for a minute. If I spend my life as a mother feeling empty cupped, what am I teaching my children to do? Through the wire. To fill empty cut. Let's go back to one of our first sessions with the four steps. If I can truly get free from my mom and dad and love them profoundly, turning all the mistakes they've made into wisdom and growing from it and adoring and cherishing them more than ever and never letting any of the painful stuff hurt me again, except for the wisdom it taught me, what does that teach my children through the wire? To do the same. With me. I was in San Pete County with the traveling mental health in 1976. And we were in a cafe. I, was, I had some appointments that night to work with a couple of families. And when we walked out of this little cafe in this small town, 
uh, this man walked up to us and said, hey, what are you guys doing? And we said, well, we're with the University of Utah uh, Traveling Mental Health. And he said, uh, what's your name? So we all told him our name, and I said, my name's Craig Berthold. And he said, Craig Berthold? I said, yeah. you got to be kidding me. I said, why? He says, are you any relation to Rudy Berthold? I said, well, Rudy was my grandfather. He died back in the 50s. Uh, yeah, he, he's my grandfather. And he said, I knew your grandfather. One of the sweetest people, kindest people I'd ever known in my life. A truly a man without guile. He's talking about my grandpa. How do you think I felt? I teared up like I am right now. What? That's why genealogy is so important. Some of us like to find a little rowdy relative on our <laughs> family, line. family line so we can kind of laugh about it. But most of us want to know about all the sweetness and the goodness. When you talk about the stories in your family, we're going to talk about ritualistic stories of identity in the weeks to come and how it attaches the wire. But you tell your children's stories and tell the stories about your life, even your struggles. But make sure the struggles you tell them when you're going down in the deep pit of pain and sorrow that you came up out of it and rose above it and were successful and turned it to wisdom. And that teaches your children that no matter what kind of difficulty they go through, my mom rose out of that. Look what she went through. And she came out of it and she did all these wonderful things. The wire. Let's go a couple more places now. A couple get together. They're going to put the Brady Bunch together. He's been married, got a couple of kids. She's been married, got a couple of kids. They uh, come home from church one day. They're all sitting there at the counter. Mom's cutting some potatoes. And the dad says to her kid, not his kid, her kid. Now, they've been married about a year, maybe two years. And he says to her kid, you little jerk, what did you do that for? Does mom have a wire to the kid? Yes. Yeah. Does dad have a wire to the kid? No. no. He's the stepdad. He hasn't hooked up the wire yet. Mom wants to plunge the knife into his chest. <laughs> How dare you attack my son like that? Okay, they settle it. Everything. I'm sorry. Okay, it's all right. Four hours later, mom's with the kids in watching TV. Dad's in the in the in the study down the hall, and the mom says to dad's kid, "Sally, that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen a little girl do." And dad charges down the hall. Don't be calling my kid stupid because he's got a wire to the kid. Sometimes when we mix families together, it's very difficult until we hook up the wire. I tell people every day, if you're going to love that woman, you better love, she's got two kids, but you love her legs, she's got four legs, two of them are her children. And if you don't learn to hook up a wire to them when they hurt, you hurt. When they're happy, you're happy. You won't hook up the wire. But the miracle comes when you hook up that wire. A couple came to see me years ago. Uh, they had four children. She had had a child out of wedlock when she was 19. They got married. Now they had uh, another little boy and two little girls. And they were doing everything fine. Uh, but they came in to me not for family therapy. They came in for marital therapy. And I started talking with them about the things of the struggles in marriage and anchors and the ordeal of marriage and the family. and It wasn't helping at all. So a couple of weeks later, I said, hey, uh, 
let's let's talk about your children for a minute. You have this oldest child that what is he? He's, he's like ten, yeah. And you're 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 the father now. Well, I'm a stepfather. Yeah. Have you hooked up a wire to him? He said, well, "What do you mean?" So I told him about the wire. And he says, "Well, I've adopted him." <laughs> and I said, "Well, adoption doesn't really hook up the wire." And he says, "Well, uh, yeah, I think I've hooked up the wire." So, so you treat him exactly the same way you treat the other kids? Discipline them exactly? The- oh no, no, no. She won't let me discipline him. She has to discipline him. I have to discipline the other kids. Well, does he have another father? Yeah, but he's not in his life. Okay. So if you and your wife got a divorce, would you come and visit him and the other three kids that you have or just the three kids and ignore him? Well, he's not my kid. Well, at this point, can you see what's going on in this marriage? Mm-hmm. Does, a, does this woman have a wire to all four of the kids? Mm-hmm. Does he have a wire to all four of the kids? No. No. So I pointed out to him. I said, dude, you don't have a wire hooked up to this kid. Do you want to hook up a wire to the kid? I explained. He said, well, it appears that might be a good thing for me to do. So we put the kid in the chair, you know, the little gestalt work, and he said, you're my kid. I'm hooking the wire up to you. You hurt, I'm going to hurt. I said, do you think you can do that? He says, I'm going to do it. Moves back over. He's playing the part of the 10-year-old kid, and the 10-year-old kid says back, well, you're not my dad, and I won't hook up a wire to you. And he says back, I don't know if I, should I hook up a wire to a kid that doesn't want to hook up a wire to me? You don't have to, but it might be a good idea. He might eventually hook up a wire. Okay, you're my kid. You're a piece of my heart, just like my own children. I'm going to, di- whether your mother says I can or not, I'm going to discipline you the same way that I've disciplined my kids. I'm going to love you just the same way. I'm going to be there. I'm going to laugh at them. I'm going to do everything I can. You're my kid. I'm hooking up a wire. Moves back over. And the kid, he's playing the part of the kid, says, I don't believe you. You can't do it. He sits back over here and goes, yes, I can. And then, as I often do, I said, you religious person? He says, yes. I said, Father, God, would you help him with this? What would your God say? Well, sure. So have God stand behind you now and have God rest his hand on your shoulder and now tell him, I'm hooking up a wire to you, just like my father in heaven has a wire to me. You're my kid. Get used to it. He moves back and playing the kid, he says, okay, I believe you. I saw him twice more. We were done. What's mom doing as she's watching her husband talk with her first child that was born with another man. What's she doing as she's watching this? She's probably thrilled. Thrilled and sobbing. She's wanted this little boy to have a wire to her father for his entire 10 years that he's never had. He had grandpa, but he's never had a wire, a real wire to a man. This guy hooked up this wire. That's cool. The wire is real. I don't know how else to explain it. We can talk about psychoanalysis. This is my shortcut to psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. If I hurt, my children hurt. When I'm hurting, Libby, how do you feel? Sad. And when I'm really happy on top of the world? Mm-hmm. I feel good. And when you're happy, how does your dad feel? Happy. And when I see you sad, yeah. do I still want to come down and beat somebody up? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I. Yeah. Would you? I've got. I've had. I've had an incident today. <laughs> What's his name? Where does he live? <laughs> of course, I'm old now. I might not be able. No. We do. Oh, I'll tell you one little story. This happened last summer. Your brother is what? 47, 40, almost fifty, right? Something like forty-eight. That. Forty-eight. Okay. We went fishing as we sometimes do. We come down. We go to the Maverick store in Evanston. 
to get gas. I go in, I'm getting a candy bar and a drink. He comes in, runs past, runs in because he's, he's filled, finished putting the gas in and runs by to get into the bathroom. And there's some, I don't know, 28, 29-year-old tough guy standing there. And he, he accidentally brushes by him and says, sorry, and bumps the guy and runs into the bathroom. And this guy goes, oh, and who's he think he is? I kick it. And get him tough. Now, Lincoln, is he a little guy? No. He can bench press 450 pounds. Think of a barrel of oil. Lincoln can lift that. He is extremely strong. Would you, you know how strong he is? I didn't know he was that strong. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's, okay, okay. he's very strong. Lincoln, okay. you're welcome. Everyone <laughs> thinks you're really strong now. Okay. Yet, did my little boy just get threatened? Yes. <laughs> I'm 70 years of age. I'm going to, what? And then I started laughing. Because I hit me, I still have a wire to that little kid. Oh, he's not a little kid. He's just about 50 years of age. And he's, he can, he's strong as an ox. And I still want to, so I, I didn't tell him about it, but I walked out in the truck laughing going, the wire's still real. Mm-hmm. To this day, he threatened my kid, boy. I'm going to be protective. What happens if we hook up the wire to our real parents? Like, uh, like God? Yeah. Is he well, divine? Well, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. And if you understand he's divine, are you also divine? Yeah. It's a miracle. Yeah. So we can talk more about the wire, but you got the general gist of it. Mm-hmm. I call it the neurolog- the invisible neurological wire. And it is related to everything we've talked about so far. For instance, if your cup is half cupped, what are you demonstrating to your children? How to be half cupped. If you treat your spouse like they're no good, the kid's going to feel it. I must be no good. I'm like my dad. But if yeah. you treat your spouse, you're wonderful. I love you. I adore you. You're wonderful. You're full cup. And you treat yourself. I know that I'm good. And you've learned to fill your own cup and learn that you're special, no matter what anybody on this earth says. Yeah. When you come to understand that, that's the wire. That's what you send through the wire into your children. Yeah. And that's it. And, and okay. kudos to those parents who get divorced, which... I don't know if there's anything more difficult in this world than going through a divorce and those people who can still be positive with one another as parents and like what a blessing for those families. I imagine it's not easy, but people can do it. You know, do you remember the four steps? Yes. That's what they have to go through and they can get through through that X. Not only can they get through Think of the wonderful people who then get married and they marry a man with two children or marry a woman with two children that aren't theirs. And they try to step up and be a good father and kid goes, you're not my dad. And how tough is it for them to hook up to a little kid who's screaming, get away from me. I hate you. You're not my daddy. And I'm still saying if you want a good, healthy relationship in a family, you have to hook up a wire to the kid. But over the years, it's amazing to me also the number of couples who come in and say, my ex-husband loves my present husband. Yeah. Because he's seen how good my present husband is to his children, my children, our children. They're all three of our children now. We all have wires to these kids. Their stepfather, who's hooked up wire to him, coaches them in Little League. And their dad comes and assists coaches some real heroes yeah. out there. We have some of those in our family. We know those people. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Well, that's the wire and that's the cup. That's awesome. uh, kind of the short version, but uh, it can be applied in so many places. We got to all fill our own cups, but we can ask people to assist us. And please remember that our greatest joy comes in assisting people to fill their cups. And we don't have to do it for them completely. And if we do, we're actually doing them a disservice. Help them as much as you can, but realize if you continue forever, you're fostering their dependency. Yes. And they lose this great gift of agency. But our greatest joy comes in assisting people assisting. to fill their and, cup. And I think, I mean, I don't know why my mind just went to like addiction, which, you know, I've I've had friends who have had problems with addiction and having connections with people is a really important step in recovery right so you need these connections but you can't abuse them exactly so and and that's part of the alcoholic's prayer you know know what Mm -hmm. i can change what i can't and uh, do the best okay okay well thanks for joining us today and uh we will see you See you later. All right, Libby. Thank you for all you're doing. See you. Bye-bye.